Well, thank you, Dan. It's great to be here at Life Fellowship. And um, my wife and I, my wife's here today with me, and uh, Ben's mom. And we've been enjoying your series on Daniel by uh, Ben and Dan preaching. And you say, uh, yeah, we have to listen to him. My wife is so proud of my son, and I am too. But my wife, on Monday, she's like, we got to listen to Ben's sermon and Dan's sermon. So we've been enjoying that series on Daniel. Uh, but this morning, we're going to depart and uh, go into the New Testament. And if you have your Bibles, uh, would you turn to Matthew chapter 15 with me? Matthew chapter 15. Have you ever read a passage of Scripture, especially in the, in the, the uh, Gospels, and you read it and you're like, I have no idea what's going on here. This passage is really uh, kind of a, an enigma to me. And, and that, that is this passage that was read to you this morning out of Matthew chapter 15, the Canaanite woman. Now you got to understand a little background. Jesus and his disciples had been trying to get a vacation in. Remember the first time they tried to get away from the crowds and they, they got on the shore and 5,000 people had followed them down the coast. Jesus had said, let's get away for a while because they had no time to even eat. And uh, so they went down the coast of the Sea of Galilee, but when they docked, they got off and 5,000 people are waiting for them. And you have the feeding of the 5,000. And, and uh, so they didn't get a vacation then. And, and so this time... Jesus takes his disciples up the coast into Phoenicia. And uh, Tyre and Sidon are two cities there on the coast of the Sea of, uh, or the Mediterranean Sea. And uh, they're finally trying to get away. And it says in the book of Mark that they went into a house and they did not want to be known. They, they needed this vacation. And this is where this story picks up as they get into this house. Now, if they're up in uh, Syria and, and Phoenicia in that area, uh, in a house, it's a Jewish house, okay? They wouldn't be staying in Gentiles, and so this is a Jewish home's part of the dispersion. And so they're up there in a Jewish home hoping to get away from the crowds. Nobody would follow them up there. Well, what happens? And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Zidon, and behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. Now, they're trying to get away. The, the Mark passage tells us, but he could not be hid. And so this Canaanite woman comes, and they're on vacation, and now another interruption. Now, she could not go into this house because it was a Jewish home, but I think she's standing outside the window. And, uh, of course, they didn't have windows. They were open windows back in those days. And so I can just see her coming up, hearing about Jesus, and saying, I need to get to this man who can do miracles. Now, I believe she's a believer because she cries out to him, O Lord, Son of David. She's not like, hey, you Jewish miracle worker, uh, can you help me out? She is a believer. She calls Jesus Lord and Son of David. She believes he's the Messiah. Now, I don't know when she came to this faith in him, whether she heard about him and, and said this must be the promise. Of, I mean, she's a Canaanite. And by the way, these Canaanites, they're kind of, she's a remnant of a very wicked generation 
uh, many generations of very wicked people that uh, the Jewish people had displaced in Israel. And so, you know, she doesn't have a very good reputation, and she's a Gentile, it says in the book of Mark. And, and uh, so, anyway, she's got a really serious problem. And some of you have come this morning with very serious problems. She's like, I got to get a hold of Jesus, and some of you this morning need to get a hold of Jesus. And she tells them what it is, oh Lord, son of David, have mercy on me, my, lo- my daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. I'll tell you what, she's got some problems. Some of you got some real problems. You came in here with great consternation in your life this morning, and this passage is for you. Now, why this is such an enigma to me is you follow this story, and, and Jesus just kind of, he puts this woman off over and over again. He doesn't answer her. He tells her, I've only been sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Go away, you know, and and uh, no, you're a dog, you know, get out. of. I can't give the bread of the children to the dogs. You think she would somewhere along the line said, you know what? I've had about enough of you, Jesus. I'm out of here. And I'm reading this. And then she says something to him in response. She says, yeah, but even the, do- the ch- you know, the dogs get the crumbs that fall from the master's table. And he goes, whoa, woman, great is your faith. Be it unto you as you desire. And her daughter was hurt, you know healed from that very moment, and you're like, what just happened here? Now, I think what Jesus is doing, and he does it to every one of us, is he takes us through different stations of the testing of our faith. He's doing that for this this, uh, Canaanite woman. She needs a huge miracle. She needs a huge amount of the power of God. And Jesus isn't going to just give it to her because she says, oh, Lord, give it to me. He's like, you don't have enough faith yet. And so he takes her to a great faith by pushing her kind of down this road. If you're taking notes this morning, I want to talk about six stations of testing that God will use to lead us to a great faith. Now, when we, when we go through these stations of testing, we usually chafe at it. and we, I don't want to go through this. Just give it to me. Just heal me, Lord. Heal my daughter. Take care of my problems. But God, in his great wisdom, says, no, I want you to have a great faith. And if he had just right away given it to this, this lady, her request, she would have been dwarfed in her faith And let me say this morning, some of you are like, God, why won't you just give it to me? Just take care of the problem. And he says, because I'm leading you to a great faith. Six stations of testing that will lead us to a great faith. Let's look at them and let's see where you are this morning. So the first one, after she says, O Lord, son of David, my daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. Verse 23, here's the first station of testing. But he did not answer her a word. (laughs) I can just see he's in this house, probably reclining at a table, eating with his disciples, they're on vacation, and this crazy woman comes and screams through the window, Oh Lord, son of David, have mercy upon me, my daughter is severely depressed or oppressed by a demon. Jesus reclines here, Peter, would you pass the salt? She's like, what in the world? Did he hear what I said? My daughter is oppressed by a demon? This is serious. (laughs) Pass the salt. 
He did not answer her a word. Here's the first station of testing I find in my life many times, and God uses it, the silence of God. Number one, the silence of God. Some of you have been crying out to God, and you have not got an answer. You haven't heard anything from the Lord. I remember this big testing in my life. I was 19 years old at a Christian university studying to be a pastor, and I met this really, really nice girl. You know, I needed a good pastor's wife, you know, so, man, I, I went out on a date with her, and whoo, man, she was the one. Beautiful, sweet, one. I was like, this is the one. And she seemed to, you know, kind of, I thought she had a good time. The next day, I went to the cafeteria, and I'm like, there's my girlfriend, you know, and I walked over there. She gave me the cold shoulder, like, <laughs> you can leave now. Oh, my goodness. I mean, I'll tell you what. This is about the fourth rejection I've gotten from girls, you know. And I, it just, this was like the final straw. I'm like, no, God, this was the one. This was, and she doesn't want me. She doesn't like me. And, man, I, I fell into depression. No, I fell into despair. I fell deeply into despair. And I was like, oh, dear God, you know, why can't you, you know. And, and then, you know, uh, because I, I got this rejection, I'm in this despair. And, and uh, after a while, I'm like, you know what, God, I don't even care if I have this girl. I just want to start feeling normal again. Any of you feel like that this morning? You're so, you know, depressed or in despair, and you're like, I'd like to get back to normal living. Like, you know, you get up, and I, I became dysfunctional. I, I wasn't going to this class. I was sleeping sleeping in that was the only peace that I could find is when I was asleep and I'd wake up like oh no I'm awake and I thought I was going insane and I'll tell you what I'm like I got to get a hold of God and there was this one room where we stored the suitcases in our in our dormitory and I went in that room and shut up crawled to the back of this room and I'm like now God I got to be normal again I want to feel normal I said I'm going to count to three and I want you to make me feel normal <laughs> I'm praying okay God, I'm giving you a chance. One, two, three. I was like, God, I'll give you another chance. Now, I'm, I'm serious, God. I mean it. I need to feel normal again. One, two, three. God, you don't hear me. You don't hear my prayers because you don't answer them. This woman is probably thinking, why won't he answer me? Doesn't he know how serious my problem is? Some of you who are here this morning, you're like, yes, God has not answered me. You know what? If God had made me feel good, if he just shot me through with a feeling of joy, like, dear God, one, two, three, <laughs> Woo! boy, the prayer works. God's like, no, that wouldn't be by faith. And God kept silent he did not answer me right away. And the devil was saying to me, God doesn't hear your prayers. But the Holy Spirit led me to a, a scripture verse, the word of God. In Psalm 34, verse 17, the righteous cry and the Lord hears them and delivers them out of all their distresses. And I said, well, God, I don't feel like it, but your word says you hear me. And that settles it. Amen. I'll tell you what, God had to teach me. To have faith in when you go through the silence of God that he really is there. And he was there in that house and he did hear her. But he's like, come on, 
come on, uh, uh, Gentile Canaanite woman, come on, keep coming. You're not ready to, to have this miracle yet. You must believe that I hear is a, is a great uh, testing of our faith that God takes us through the silence of God. Are you there this morning? We'll keep coming. Persevere. She persevered. Number two, here's the second station of testing, the last part of verse 23. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, send her away, for she is crying out after us. Hey, we're on vacation. Send her away. Did you not hear what she said? My daughter is oppressed by a demon. My daughter, you know what? We've, we've dealt with this before, Jesus, but we're on vacation. Send her away. I'm sure she heard him say that. She keeps crying out after us, Jesus, would you just send her away? We don't feel like doing any miracles today. We're on vacation. It's all about us. Number two, here's the second station of testing. Discouraging people. Number two, discouraging people. Have you ever been tested in this church by discouraging people? Now, by the way, these are the guys that are closest to Jesus. These are the guys. And they're the ones, send her away. What do you mean send me? I'm done with this church. I'm done with it. Wow, I'll tell you what. I remember when I was a pastor. It was Thanksgiving time, about this time of the year. I sat down and I wrote a letter to the church. And I had a very small church at that time sent out this letter thanking every single person in the church for something. Sometimes it was hard, but, you know, I had to, but, but I, I, I mentioned everybody in the church and wrote this letter, sent it out. I'm like, you know, I sent it out just before Thanksgiving, and, of course, Sunday rolls around, and, and I just couldn't wait. But I, I just know I'm going to get, you know, just really patted on the back for my, 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 my good pastoring, you know. And Saturday night I get a phone call. Hello, pastor? Like, yes. You're a really bad pastor. I was like, what? She goes, you said thank you to me. I said, yes. She goes, well, it says in the Bible, if you get your rewards on earth, you don't get them in heaven. You stole my heavenly rewards because you said thank you to me. And you are, you are terrible. You're mean. You stole me. Now I get nothing in heaven. I'm like, I don't think that's what that verse means. Yes, it is. Blah, 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 blah. She went on and on and told how horrible I was. I said, I, I was trying to do something good. And anyway, I got, I hung up the phone. I said to my wife, Jenner, pack the bags. I'm done being a pastor. These people in church are nuts. You know what I mean? Here, I, you know what I mean, folks? Can I get an amen? Amen. People in church are crazy. And some of you, you know, I, some of you might come in every Sunday like, well, you know, a couple years ago I got hurt. And I'll go to church, but I'm just done. I'm not going to serve anymore. I'm just kind of so humble pie me. I'll come in every Sunday. And, or maybe, maybe you're at home listening to this and you're like, I don't go to church anymore because somebody, you know, told me, you know, they made a remark, hurt my feelings and let me tell you what, if you don't get over this station of testing, you'll never serve the Lord. You'll never have a great faith because some of you have been hurt. Listen, that, that event hurt me so bad. I remember driving to church the next day. My chest physically ached with pain because of the words of that person. I was ready to get, my wife's like, you're not giving up. You're going to get over this. 
you're going to keep serving the Lord. And I was like, yeah, you're right. I, I need to keep going. And the Lord kept me. I, that was one of the greatest tests of my faith I ever went through. And some of you are going through that right now. May God give you grace to get through that station of the testing of your faith. What's the third one? Verse 24. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Well, maybe she's like, maybe he'll silence the disciples and give me some good news. I was sent, hey lady, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. You're a Canaanite. <laughs> Are you saying no? You're not going to help me? Now here's the third station of testing. Put it down this way. No. <laughs> but put in parentheses, not yet. You see, he was at first sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, but he had a greater plan. Didn't he? The, the Jews, every nation, every tribe, every tongue will be offered this salvation through him. But right now he wants her to know, I, you know, I haven't, I've only been sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Has God said no to you lately? I remember when I became a pastor. Now, I got saved at a camp uh, when I was 15 years old. Got saved. I mean, God just really saved me a miraculous salvation. I was on fire for God and, and um, went, studied to be a pastor, became a pastor. And I was like, but I, I was first a youth pastor. I started out as a youth pastor. And I said, I can't wait to the summer when I can take my kids from my youth group to camp. Now, I also had visitation. I was youth and visitation. I was in charge of the visitation. Well, summer comes around, I'm getting my kids all signed up for camp, and the pastor said, my, my pastor was over me, said, you take the kids to camp, drop them off, and you come back here. You've got a lot of visitation work to do. You mean I can't go to camp? No. <laughs> but I love camp. You come home. You're just messing around. You go to camp, you're messing around. We get you to work, get back here and work. Second year came around, you think I could go to camp? No. Four years I was there, youth pastor. Can I go to camp? No. Just a bunch of, you know, let the camp directors take care of them. You're, you're going to be here and work. Four years. Then I became a senior pastor. I'm in charge of my own church. And I sat down with the deacons, like, okay. Now when we get our kids all signed up for camp, they're like, oh, we don't go to any special camp. I said, but can I go to the camp and help the, my other pastor friends? No. You're going to stay here and work. I'm like, but I like camping. No. People just goof off at camp. You're not going to goof off. We're paying your salary. You're going to be here and work, you know. Well, God, why can't I go to camp? Six years. Can you think I could go? No. I'm like, God, I love camp ministry. I got saved at camp. I went, could I just say? God's like, not yet. After 10 years in the ministry as a pastor, I get a phone call by this Christian university, and, and they, they said, hey, uh, we, we, you came and spoke in chapel and, uh, a couple uh, months ago, and we really enjoyed, and, and uh, the students loved you, and we're looking for someone who would come and be a recruiter here at this university, but you're going to have to go and speak at camps all summer. <laughs> now, they said, that's the tough part of the job. And we know you probably don't want to do it. I'm like, yeah, well, somebody's got to do it, you know. 
I'll do my best. <laughs> you know, I have passed 200, over 200 weeks of summer camp that I preached at. And I'll tell you, God was like, I'm just giving you a 10-year rest, Ken. You know, I mean, you will be in camps. And uh, I still go to camps and, and, and preach. And so can I tell you what? Sometimes God says no. Maybe he's stirring up a hunger for something. Or say, would you keep coming? Don't give up. Not yet. I, and, and some of you have heard no from God for a long time. And you're ready maybe to give up and say, I'm giving up that dream. I, I've been so disappointed. And she could have been like, you know what? He told me no. I'm going to go back home and just live with a demon-possessed daughter. Can, can I tell you, don't stop. Just keep praying. Pursue God, what do you have for my life? Maybe some of my dreams have been dashed and I've been disappointed, but I'm not giving up on you because you have the best in store for me. And God always knows what is best for you. He's a good God. There's a fourth station of testing. The fourth one, let's look at verse 25. But she came and knelt before him saying, Lord, help me. Now, I think this woman says, I can't go home to a demon-possessed daughter. I need some help. I think she leaves the window. I think she barges into the Jewish home. She's not supposed to be in there. The law says, don't let the Jews or the Gentiles come in your home. She's like, I need grace. I'm, I'm going to step beyond the, you know, the law may be saying no, but... She comes and I think she crawls under this table. Now, back then the tables were only about 18 inches off the ground and, and uh, the people, would, they would recline by the table on pillows. They would rest on the pillows and uh, their feet would be out this way. I think she climbs, I think she busts into the house, climbs under the table and this word that she knelt before him literally means she worshiped him which means laying on your face, wrapping your arms around somebody's feet and begging them. It says in Mark, she begged him. Can I tell you here, number four, here's a fourth station of testing, desperate worship. Number four, I think God will test us in desperate worship. Are you desperate this morning to see God work? Are you desperate for... Whatever it is in your life, you're like, God, this problem, I mean, this lady, she's like, I cannot leave. I need an answer. I need help. She says, I don't care what the law says. I need grace. And by grace, she busted into that house and crawled under that table. And I think she wrapped his, her arms around his legs as he was reclining there. And she looks up at him. And she says, Lord, help me. Have you ever been there? Maybe some of you are there right now this morning. I need God and I need, I'm desperate. I told you I became a senior pastor and I, oh, I always wanted my own church so I could preach. And man, I, I, this little church asked me to come be their pastor. It had 50 people. I'm like, man, I'm going to build this church. Everybody's going to want to come and hear Ken Rudolph. Six months later, I had 40 people. And I'm scratching my head. I'm like, uh, Lord, I don't think I know what I'm doing. I don't know how to make people come. Now, we were in the most, this church was in the most affluent neighborhood of Washington, D.C. And um, 
we probably didn't choose the best name for this church. I won't tell you what it is, you know, but it, was, it, it, it just was not a good name in that church. In other words, nobody's going to walk into that church by that name. And so I'm, I'm like, God, how do you make people walk into the church? People just come off the street, I'm, I need to hear the gospel. No, I'll tell you, especially wealthy people. And I was like, Lord, I don't know what to do. How do I get, and I'll tell you what, I got scared. What if I'm a pastor that fails? I don't want to fail, God. I want to be successful. I want to see people saved, and I don't know how to do it, man. I started getting on my knees in my office. Now, we were so small, I didn't have a secretary. I'd spend eight hours a day in my office praying and studying the Word, praying and studying the Word. I'd we had so many young people, I didn't even have anybody in the hospital. And to have a hospital visit, all I did is pray and, and study the Word. And I'll tell you what, I learned to, to, to worship God desperately. I was like, God, I can't do it. you got to teach me. you got to help me. Oh, God, help me. Lord, help me. And I beg God, don't let me fail. Please don't let me fail. I want to see people saved. I want to disciple people. Lord, help me. And I cried out for months and months on my knees desperately. Easter Sunday rolled around. One of the deacons in my church been bugging his neighbor forever to come to church. They finally said, we better, we better go and get this over with. And they asked some of their relatives to go with them. They were so scared to come into this church. Two young couples walk in Easter Sunday morning. You should have seen my people. They're like, Pastor. I said, don't stare, you know. <laughs> Act normal. Pretend we have visitors every week, you know. <laughs> and everybody's, I'm like, just act normal, you know. And uh, so anyways... I preached a gospel message that Easter Sunday, gave an invitation. Back in those days, you used to give invitations. And those two couples came forward, and I came out off the platform and said, what do you want? <laughs> they said, you said, come up here if you want to get saved. I'm like, you want to get saved? <laughs> yeah, your message. I'm like, oh, oh yeah, it works, you know. I took them back to this little room. I led both those couples to the Lord. I'll tell you what, they're like, Pastor, can we have a Bible study in our home? I'm like, yes. Can we bring our wicked friends? Yes. Man, I'll tell you, we sat in that kitchen, and I saw so many people get saved, all these wicked friends of theirs coming like, they changed, something happened. They don't do this anymore, and they don't do that sin anymore. And we got to know what's going on. And I, I remember people at that kitchen table coming to know the Lord. Wow. Ken, how did you do it? What books did you read? The Bible. Well, what desperate worship. God, help me. I don't know. You're the only one. As we sang this morning, what a powerful name it is, the name of Jesus. And I'll tell you, that church grew from 40 to 120 and every one of those 
that growth came from people getting saved. And I'll tell you what, it was because God taught me how to worship desperately. How many of you today, maybe you say, oh, I, I have these polite little prayers I say. I'll, t- I'll tell you what, maybe God is saying, I want to see your heart. Lady, I want to see your heart. How much is that? daughter mean to you and she's like I can't stay I can't go away and she breaks through the door of the law and she crawls under the table for grace and begs them Lord help me I think sometimes we need prayer meetings like that Lord how can we reach Cornelius how can we reach Charlotte oh God there's so much to do this world is turning so wicked oh God help us desperate worship number Number five, there's a fifth station of testing I see here. Verse 26, and he answered, it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. What's up with you, Jesus? I just begged you, desperately worshiping you. Oh, Lord, son of David, I believe in you. You're a dog. I'm not giving the bread to the children to the dogs. Did you call me a dog? Did I hear you, Jesus, call me? She backs out under the table. Bye-bye. That's it. Called me a dog. Number five, I call this station the sovereignty of God. The sovereignty of God. I want to ask you, is God sovereign? Amen? Does Does he rule? Listen, we've been studying about that in Daniel. Amen? God's sovereign, he's in charge. So if we really believe that, if God calls you a dog, what are you? A dog. All right. Yes, Lord. I'm a dog. Now, here's the thing. Sometimes we get hung up on what God chooses to do in our life by his sovereign choice. I remember when I was a youth pastor, before I got my my own church, There was this big church on the East Coast that called me up one day and said, we're looking for a youth pastor. Now, I was in a medium-sized church. This church was huge. And they're like, someone recommended your name to us as youth pastor. And I was like, oh, my word. If I got a job at this church as a youth, I would, woo, this is it. I will have arrived. And it will prove to me that I have value. So, went on this interview he says bring it bring your family we want to meet your family we're good we'll meet with the deacons and so I first interviewed with the pastor and he goes okay and he says tonight he said uh, we're going to meet with the deacon all the deacons and uh, elders and and we're going to go out and they took us out to this fancy restaurant I mean this church had money and we went linen tablecloths two waiters in tuxedos I mean, this place was, and I had my three little children with me. They were real, real little. Ben was there, and, and uh, my wife, and so I, you know, threatened the kids. We were like, you behave when we go in there now, you know, I want this job. We get in there, and things are going pretty good, and, you know, they're all staring at me and asking me questions, and all of a sudden, Ben goes, Dad, I don't feel too good. And I was like, well, it'll be, bleh! <laughs> vomits all over the linen tablecloth and it's rolling off the table onto the floor and there are all these deacons and elders are looking at me and 
my wife's like, <laughs> you know, I'll clean it up, you know, and she moves the high chair. My, my daughter was in a high chair. She moves the high chair back, gets under the table, and my daughter falls out of the high chair, wham, hits her head on the table. <laughs> now, we're in this fancy restaurant, guys in tuxedos serving us, all these adults, and you're eating, and they're like, who would bring children to a restaurant like this, you know, you know, puke and blood and screaming. And, <laughs> and I, you could just look at all these elders, look at this guy, you know, and I'm like, God, what are you doing? God was sabotaging my visit. God's like, I don't want you in that church. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mess up this interview. Everything went wrong. I mean, it was, by the time I got in the car, I was like, oh my goodness. Well, a couple of weeks later, I got a uh, letter you are not the person we thought you were, you know. And we're not inviting you. Not, oh, God. You know what? The next step for me was not to be that youth pastor. I became the pastor of that church where I learned to preach and I learned, and I, so that I could go and be at camps. And I was like, oh, God, I see what you're doing. Your sovereignty led me. And if he wants to sabotage something in your life to bring you something better down the road. That's his privilege, and we, we must trust him. Amen? Amen? Sometimes we're like, God, you, I never got that appointment, or I never got this, or you did this. Listen, God is in control. Amen? And if God calls you a dog, you're a dog. Amen. And she accepts it. Number six. She said, verse 27, she said, Yes, Lord, I am a dog. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Hmm. Number six. I call this understanding the word. Number six. We need to get to the point where we understand the word of the Lord. Now, one of the interesting things, it doesn't say it in the text, but in the Greek, God doesn't call her a dog he calls her a little dog. In the Greek, it's a diminutive. In other words, it's a puppy. Not right to take the, the bread of the children and give it to the puppies. Aha. I'm a dog, but he's calling me a little dog. In other words, back in those days, you didn't, dogs weren't domesticated. Now, most of you have dogs in your homes, you know, and you love them like children. And, you know, we're all a bunch of weirdos here in America, but... You know, and you have your dog, and you name them, and you put them in a graveyard, you know, when they die, and, and, you know. But back then, dogs were scavengers. You didn't have, you didn't have a dog in the house. He's referring to a, a little puppy in the house that gets bread. I don't give bread to puppies. See, back then, you may not have a, a big dog in your house, but kids sometimes, as they were out playing... They would, they would find these little scavengers' puppies, a little litter of puppies. And, you know, puppies are cute, aren't they? And the little children would pick them up and bring them in the house. Look, Dad, a puppy. He goes, all right, you can play with him now, but when he gets older, out, he's a scavenger. But when they're puppies, you can bring them in the house for, for a toy. And that's why Jesus, he says, it's not right to take the bread of the children and give it to the puppies. She goes, ah, he called me a dog, but I understand what he's saying. She, where was she at that time? She was in the house. Where was she? Under the table. Where was she sitting at the feet of the master? 
He says, it's not right to take the bread of the children and give it to the... Well, listen, you don't give, you don't give loaves of bread to dogs anyways. My, my kids have dogs. When I go visit them, I like to feed them. They tell me not to, but I feed them. <laughs> I have a piece of toast at breakfast, you know, and those dogs sit there and they stare at me because they know I, I'm going to give them. But I don't give them my toast. I take the crust off. And I throw it to them, and they're pretty good at catching it. Because my kids say, don't feed the dog at the table. I'm going to. <laughs> but I don't give them my toast. I give them a crumb. I give them the crust. And she goes, that's true, Lord. You don't give the, the bread of the children. You don't give loaves of bread that are meant for your children. But how about a crust to throw to the puppies that the children brought in the house? I'm in the house. I'm at the feet of the master. Can I have the crumbs that fall from the master's table? And what does Jesus say? Then Jesus answered her, oh, woman. And by the way, the word oh is in there. It's in the Greek. Oh, whoa, woman. Great is your faith, be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. Can I tell you what? We need a great faith today, but most of us won't go through the stations of testing. We stop somewhere. You mean to me. You told me no. You, you haven't answered me a word. You, you, you know, I met with some of your people, and they're really cranky, and they're mean, and I don't like this church. And, and we go on and on, and we have our excuses, and we stop somewhere. And God's like, would you just keep coming? I want to bring you to a great faith, and you're going to have to understand sometimes I say no, and sometimes, you know, sometimes in my sovereignty I do things that you don't understand, but go to my word. Oh, I love the, the word of the Lord when you get to the point of understanding. I remember I love Romans chapter 5, verse 10. It says, For if when we were enemies and we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, how much more now that I'm reconciled shall I be saved by his life? Do you see the logic there using the word? Hey, if we were an enemy and God came after me and saved me, how much more now that I'm reconciled and a friend of God shall I be saved by his life? Hey, sometimes we need to take the logic of the word and use it to gain a great faith. Charles Haddon Spurgeon said, the end of all things will show that faith in God is sanctified common sense without an atom of folly in it. To believe God's word is the most reasonable thing we can do. And that's what she did. She took him at his word. She took his word and she, she figured it out. She understood the word. And sometimes, folks, God will take you through a difficult passage of scripture and you might not understand it, but he wants to bring you to a great understanding so that you can have a great faith. Don't give up. As I read this for the first time, I remember I said, God, it seems like you're being really mean to this lady. No, he was just bringing her down the road of testing to a great faith. He will test our faith. I want a great faith. Do you want a great faith? Amen. I hope you won't give up as God moves you down this journey to a great faith. Don't stop. I don't know which one of those six places you might be at this morning. Maybe you're like, I'm at all six of them. We'll carry on. And let's be like this woman. I'll tell you what, she didn't let the law push her away. She came to the grace of, O oh Lord, son of David, have mercy upon me. And he did. O oh woman, great is your faith. O oh, life fellowship, may your faith be great. And may it be granted unto you 
as you desire to win the world to Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this passage of Scripture. It helps us as we journey along. Father, bring us to a great faith. Oh, God. Oh, Lord. We need more desperate worship. We need a greater faith in you that you are a sovereign God that knows all and you are, you are all wise, you are kind. And we must trust you as this Syrophoenician woman did, this Canaanite woman, and, and uh, Lord, to, to take your word and reason it to a great faith. May we do the same. May we take your word and believe it. The righteous cry and the Lord hears them and delivers them out of all their distresses, how you use that so much in my life. Oh God, may we take your word and bring it before you in argument to gain a great faith. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.